What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris here, Chris is back with us, and we got Uriah, of course, as a producer. Hey guys, how are we doing this Sunday night? Doing well, how are you guys? Feeling pretty good, feeling pretty good. How about you, Lucas? Well, I didn't even mention this in our last pod, but I finally won a fantasy basketball matchup. It happened, guys. So I'm feeling pretty good, even though I'm pretty sure Chris is slacking me this week. Who did you defeat? I think it was, um, oh gosh, I don't even remember off the top of my head. It's the one with the Phoenix wings, though. That's that's who I beat. You know, a guy with three and 13 record. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it, though. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's not good. You don't want to be the Detroit Lions of our of our well, fantasy. You know what? You know what? It happened, and I'm still dealing with injuries. Both of my Toronto guards are out. Uh, Andre Drummond has been in and out recently again. So I, I I'm just not having good luck this year, guys. It's just not it's not for me. But that's okay. We're gonna get talk actual basketball now. So Chris, go ahead and take us away, bud. All right, we're, we're going to jump into the OKC game first, which took place Saturday night. That was a pretty resounding win for Philadelphia, the final score being 117-93. to Joel Embiid had 27 points, 21 of those coming in the first half. A pretty big Furkan Korkmaz game on both ends of the floor. Um, he stepped into the, to the starting lineup in place of the injured Danny Green. Um, Lucas, what were some of your big takeaways from that game? Well, I mean, the easy one would be Ben Simmons jumper, but we'll touch on that more later. So I'm not really going to touch that right now. Uh, Cork Moss actually looked like a two-way player for one of the very few times in his career. Granted, I don't know how much you could actually you know, take away from this because basically this Thunder team is a G League team right now. To say that uh, you know, Cork Moss was a great defensively is kind of – underscores it a little bit but i mean he did have a good game five steals is nothing to scoff at 
Um, Mike Scott actually had a solid Mike Scott game. Um, five of nine from the field, three of six from downtown, 13 points. Maxi struggled. That was a surprise for me shooting the ball. He, I mean, he still had five assists, only one turnover, which is great. Uh, but he shot two of eight from the floor, seven points total, three, three, three throws. Milton didn't look particularly great in this game either, but I mean, the stars came to play. Corkmaz decided to show off. Um, and, you know, this Thunder team is a young, up and coming team. But, Chris, I just got to say, for all your uh, talk about Pokushevsky, he only played eight minutes in this game, man. That's. Uh, he got hurt. I mean, it's still, though. Like, he I mean, got hurt. What is he supposed to do? I don't know. Well, Tony Bradley came in and actually did something for for the Thunder, which I think nobody should be surprised about. He was the only good-looking player in this game besides Lou Dort. And I would say Baisley, but he had nine turnovers, so no. Uh, it was really just Tony Bradley and Lou Dort that actually looked like any semblance of NBA players in this game. Former Blue Coat uh, Justin Robinson played, though, so good for him. Um, well, I guess you can say Ty Jerome had a decent game, but yeah. No, that, that, those are my takeaways overall. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i mildly upset with this Poku slander. I mean, it's based entirely on <laughs> conspiracy. There's no factual basis for it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset, Lucas. But I, I just like poking the bear a little bit when it comes to your favorite players, Chris. You should know this by I now. I mean, it's like Paul Reed, and then he's right behind him in terms of guys I'm going to go to bat for. So... Well, well, okay. If it makes you feel any better, I'm feeling the same way that you feel about Paul Reed about Mason Jones right now. I think he can be a really good player down the road. I think he could be a bench scorer for uh, for sure. So I, I'm going to be riding the Mason Jones train for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I'll be interested to to read it. I I agree with all your takeaways. I I do think for Gunn's game was pretty notable. He's had some. Pretty, he's been, had some really nice games this year. I definitely think he's taken a step forward. He doesn't always get the credit that he deserves. He's by no means a perfect player. We still deal with a lot of the same lulls that we've dealt with in the past with him. But 7 of 13 from the field. He attempted 10 threes, made four of them. He's probably the most confident shooter on this team next to Danny Green. I mean, those two are really the only players who are... are willing to just chuck up an open three when they have it more often than not, which is a pretty useful skill when you're playing next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I think he deserves credit there. Had five steals, which was one of the big headlines from the game. Obviously, he's not a good defender, generally speaking. Has he improved? Sure. Is he going to like shut down LeBron in a playoff series? No. But just the effort in... in the fact that he put together a strong effort on both ends, I do think is pretty, pretty notable. I think he's part of the rotation. I think he's a guy we'll see in the playoffs. Um, even with George Hill, um, presumably getting 25 ish minutes a game once he gets back. But I, I did really like what I saw from Cork Maz and it, it was a really good game from Embiid for the most part, especially in that first half, Philly kind of mm-hmm. took control. Granted, OKC has pretty much, a collection of like stick figures in the front court right now. So it wasn't exactly the toughest competition for Joel, but, but a really good game for someone who's working their way back from injury. Nonetheless. 
Yeah, Moses Brown has a bright future. He just needs to fill out. Tony Bradley's a solid backup center in this league. I honestly believe that. I mean, you don't put up 16 and 14. Even He's done that both on a good team and a bad team. So he's a solid backup center. I don't care what anybody says. Um, but, yeah, no, the Thunder have a bright future. Pokushevsky, uh, until this game, was on a hot streak. So, I mean, he's looking good. Darius Baisley's a solid, you know, he can. He looks like he can become a solid, uh, you know, two-way power forward. Moses Brown looks like he has potential. Ty Jerome is starting to show why he was a first-round pick last year. You know, they still have Shea Gilgis-Alexander and a plethora of picks. They could legitly come up with the first and the fifth pick in this year's draft. Isn't it ironic, guys, that if you think about how Sam Hinkie tried to pretty much mimic what uh, Oklahoma City did back in the day when they had Durant, Harden, and Westbrook, they mm-hmm. struck gold and had all these high draft picks, and, and they had potentially a, a, a contending team for years to come, but we know it didn't work out. But now Hinkie's gone. The Sixers are now benefiting from that initial inspiration of what OKC came about years ago. And now OKC is trading away all the good players. They're benching Al Horford and they're throwing out G-leaguers. I, I do find that ironic. I mean, yeah, I, I was thinking, oh, well, OKC is going through their own process, but they're not getting murdered like the Sixers were in the media when they went through it. I guess it's just because they're not outright saying it. Well, and- I think I think part of it is that they're a pretty small market. And another part of it is that they didn't really want to trade their star players. Their star players just kind of forced their way out. You know, Durant obviously left and then Russ wanted out. Paul George wanted out. They've had some tough breaks in, in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I think they've, they've obviously done a very good job rebuilding. They've accumulated all this picks, all these picks. Can we say that they have, yeah. Can we say that they have the best scouting department right now in the NBA? I mean, they were the ones who, who took Poku, and I mean, <laughs> that's enough to earn my respect. There it is. There, there it is. There, there it is. All right. Well, let's. I, if I had anyone worth dropping, Poku would be on my fantasy team just for for the brand. So, but unfortunately, I have too many good players. He just. But we'll, we'll move on now and talk about the Pelicans. I feel like that was a low low key brag. That was definitely low key brag, wasn't it, Uriah? <laughs> Hey, just know when it comes playoff time, it's, it's a different season. I still got some some I trades know, up I, my sleeve. So don't get content, Chris. Just uh-huh, let you know. Yeah. No, I, I got to face Matt in the finals. It'll be it'll be a tough matchup. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, let's see. Oh, let's see. If we, we could put we could put some money where our miles are when we get to it. OK. Um. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the Pelicans game. That was a less less fun outing from Philadelphia's perspective. The final score was 101-94, to but that that's much closer than the game actually was. Zion had a pretty tremendous night, 37-15-8, um, only two turnovers, 15 of 28 from the field. Looked like the, the all-star caliber player that he is. On the other end, Embiid had one of his worst games of the season, 14 points on 16 shot attempts. You know, not the greatest Ben Simmons game, as many were quick to point out. Not a great game from the bench either. Lucas, what were some of your big takeaways? So, in terms of matchups, this was probably the worst team the Sixers to match up against because 
Stephen Adams is the most probably uh, now that Marcus Saul has lost a step, and same thing with Al Horford. Stephen Adams is just easily the strongest and now most physical defender that you can throw at Joel Embiid. And it showed this night, obviously, Joel had taken the game off before the knee brace. He's commented has bothered him and is playing. But Stephen Adams is a physical monster. He's been, his peers have called him the strongest player in the NBA by far. I, I tend to agree with that statement just based off of what I've seen. And they've always had tough match. Joel's always had tough matchups with Stephen Adams. Usually he wins it, but this was just coming back, you know, still kind of fresh off an injury against a physical player where he had a bone bruise. It, you know, the bone bruise was the injury that he was recovering from. It's not a favorable matchup for him, indeed. And then the matchup with Ben Simmons, uh, I found it interesting. Usually Rivers, and we talked about this last time with uh, Jason Blivens, who was our guest last uh last podcast but he you know he mentioned how you know doc usually tries to save ben for the second half against the team's best player but an interesting twist ben started out on on uh, zion williamson and basically covered him from what i can remember and i'm i'm not gonna lie i was kind of tired because i was road tripping prior to the game um for the majority of the game and simmons it wore out him offensively you know he didn't get he wasn't too physical and then defensively i mean zion had 37 points on 15 of 28 shooting he had 11 foul shots 15 rebounds rebounds eight assists i mean to be honest zion looks like looked like in this game the player that ben simmons was supposed to become to be completely to be quite frank with you guys simmons had Six turnovers. This Pelicans team, when locked in, can be a great defensive team, and that's exactly what happened in this game. I will say Tobias Harris played phenomenal defense on Brandon Ingram. That was a positive I took away from this. Ingram went uh, 5 of 21 from the field, 2 of uh, 9 from three-point line, and had 17 points. Harris just had his way with Ingram. He was physical on him, and it really bothered Ingram, and that was a positive. Seth Curry has been kind of off with his shooting as of late. I don't know what's going on. I feel like it's all mental for him. And I mean, the bench outside of Korkmaz and Shake underperformed his season averages. He had nine points. Korkmaz was solid with 12 points, but this like Zion just had his way with Ben and, and Steven Adams was able to corral Joel despite, you know, the, <laughs> stat line for Steven, Steven Adams not being super flashy what he did to corral Joel who is an MVP still a top three MVP candidate which we'll talk about later is surprising to say the least yeah I I agree with your points about Steven Adams um, the Pelicans were pretty short-handed in this game no Lonzo ball several injuries they started Najee Marshall who's a young guy who doesn't normally get much playing time. Three of their four backups in this game were front court players. They ran out some like three, four big lineups. They had James Johnson at like the two guard. <laughs> you know, they they had to lean on some pretty weird lineup combinations, and yet they were pretty much in command the whole game. A lot of that, of course, comes down to Zion, who's already like probably one of the ten best offensive players in the league, and only getting better. He he's pretty much matchup proof at this point 
it, he's he's you made the Ben comparison, but I mean athletically they're still super different. I don't think there's anyone mm-hmm. in the league that's really like Zion. Yeah, I was comparing more skill set wise than, uh, you know, body type and athletically, but yeah. skill set wise, that's but that was like, my comparison. He's not Giannis. He's not Ben in terms of speed. He's not Giannis in terms of length, but his like ability to change directions, his strength around the rim, like like people know he's not shooting. They can sag off, and it pretty much doesn't matter. He's he's almost more matchup proof than those two in that regard, and certainly more matchup proof than Ben. So he, he's just a really fun and special player to watch. Um, they've been putting the ball in his hands a lot more um, sort of later on in the season than they did early on, and it's, it's paying off. He's just a super special player. Sometimes you're going to lose games on the road, you know, to, to good teams. So it, it is what it is. But on the whole, I, I, I don't think there is a ton to take away from this game. Um, you know, the Sixers have been in a pretty brutal stretch this entire second half of the season lots of road games a very condensed schedule a lot of teams are going through this so i'm not too worried or anything but your curry point was valid he doesn't act like one of the best shooters in the league which he needs to because he is and just another pretty underwhelming bench game which has been a pretty consistent theme all season so still plenty to work on yeah, and um, you you made the point about I just this is I will say this this is the first time that either Ben has been owned defensively and Joel has been owned you know on offense this whole entire season, uh, you know individual matchups wise, which is it take it took until this part of the season to get to that point where they've already played what is it fifty two games out of a seventy two game season to get to that point, which still speaks to why they should be, if not in the top front runners of their respective races for, you know, league awards. It looked like he was just settling for jumpers and that his jumpers just weren't falling. That's my takeaway when Joel was playing. Well, the thing is, Stephen Adams is one of the few players that can take away the post from Joel and not foul him a lot. And then, so he has to go to the jump shots and that's where the knee brace was bothering him. That's, that's my takeaway from that. And with Ben and your eye, you've seen this because you watched a lot more old school basketball than I did. When Zion was trying to back down Ben, you saw the, the his Ben's shoulder and Zion's Williams's uh, no uh, Zion's shoulder and Ben's chest just go like it's like a like the two solid forces coming together and bouncing off each other. That's old school basketball defense. And I'd love seeing that, but that's just Zion is a different creature. He's the third heaviest player in the third or second, right? No third heaviest behind guys that are seven foot three or above in taco fall and Boba Marjanovic. I have a question that's, yeah. that's not on the agenda that just popped into yeah. my mind. I just want to put it out there. Who would mm-hmm. you rather have? Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson? I think Zion. the answer is Zion. Zion, yeah. Super easy. Okay. Yeah. All right, just check out. <laughs> show the same playmaking skills as Ben. Zion's a willing, at least mid-range jump shooter, and he's trying to have a three-point shot, though it's not there yet. Um, the playmaking is almost on the same level. The only difference is Ben's an all-defensive uh, guy, and Zion usually takes more nights off on defense than on. So, I mean, that would be the major difference, in my opinion. It seemed, like, it's, it seemed like Ben was up for the challenge, 
it seemed like he really was trying hard, not just offensively to be aggressive, but also defensively. Just mm-hmm. he just nobody had an answer for Zion because he's that Zion good. is that he's one that player good. that you don't have an answer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't honestly don't know if, if Giannis or LeBron could guard or even, you know, Kawhi could guard, you know, those physical type of wings that are, you know, heavy, strong. I don't know if those guys could do it, to be honest I mean, with you. I, 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 Zion's like a year or two away from being in the MVP conversation. I don't think mm-hmm. Ben's ever going to get there. So Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Zion's just on a different level. We'll see what happens for sure. But let's go ahead. And we know we're, while we're talking about this stuff, let's let's while we're talking about Ben, let's talk about the positives about Ben's jumpers. Now, Uriah was very excited before the podcast to get into this. And Ben had two jumpers against the Thunder, both in the paint, but they were, you know, pull up mid range jumpers that off the dribble. And uh, so, Chris, were you surprised that he took these mid range jumpers against the Thunder? I <laughs> You know, I mean, I don't know if surprise is the right word. Was it, like, somewhat unexpected? Sure. I mean, not to answer a question we'll answer later on. Like, I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but, like, I don't think this is a trend-setting moment or anything, you know? We've seen Ben take jumpers before and then not take them for long stretches, so... Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's anything too far out of the blue. Um, I, I think it's interesting that it coincides with a stretch of pretty poor play in which he has struggled to get to the basket and finish as well and as often as he needs to. So there's probably something to talk about there, but it's not something I'm like writing home about personally. Well, I'm going to let you jump in here. Oh, sorry. Go I thought you were done. My bad. Buddy. Yeah, no, no, I'm done. I wasn't just surprised and I'm forget unexpected, Chris. I'm going to call it like I say it. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I had to hit the rewind button at least 10 times to make sure I wasn't watching another player wearing number 25. But like Chris said, he's kind of reserving his expectations. And I don't want to jump the gun either in terms of where we're going in the next subtopic. But I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe it. And I was happy. It's it's what the team needs. After the game, Embiid says that Ben needs to be aggressive. He needs to make the other players guard him because it opens up the rest of the team. And yeah, I was shocked. I don't think I was shocked. I think I was pleasantly surprised some uh, on a similar level to Chris. I think obviously this is good for his game. I don't know if we'll, in, you know, we'll see it, but, and I, and I'm going to transition my answer this to our, my next question. So I'm going to answer it and then I'll let you guys do it. But why I think it happened in this particular game is because the Thunder are a bad team. Have you noticed this season that every time that he's pulled up for a jumper or a three-point shot, it's been against a bad team? Yep. Like for, for, yep. for the, the yeah, like the Cavaliers with that three-point shot at the end of the game where the Knicks. Matter. Well, look mm-hmm. at last year. Last year, his his only made three-pointers against the Shanghai whoever from some random yeah. league. And then he hit a he hit a, his first three against the Knicks, and he hit another three against the Cavs, and then that was it. He shut it down against teams yeah. or games that matter. He does not put himself out there. And the reason why, and this goes all back to mental, and I believe Brett Brown when he said this, if Ben was on a bad team where he could where the expectations were not high, we'd see this more often. That's that's exactly what happened in this game, in my particular opinion. Yeah, and I, mean, I think, yeah. Yeah, no, I, ahead, I definitely 
I definitely think there's something to that. Um, I mean, and, and to that point, again, like, I, I don't expect this to continue. I mean, mm. if it does, I'm sure we'll talk about it again, and I'd be pleasantly surprised. Uh, would I rather? I would also much rather him, like, shoot one or two threes as opposed to one or two fadeaway jumpers from the free throw line. Um, but, you know, baby steps. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... I I really think this is probably an aberration, again, as his past forays into the world of jump shooting have been. Um, I don't expect it to continue on a consistent basis. And I, I do think, like, he's probably more willing to experiment against bad teams that the Sixers have in hand versus, you know, the Lakers on primetime television. So I'm sure there's something to that. I, I think he's... I mean, I think we've pretty much heard him say as much, you know, that we go back to that ESPN interview from the other year with, with Jack and McMullen and, you know, Ben talking about how he wants to make the right plays. That Brett Brown quote, I think, is very relevant. So I, I do think you, you're on the right track for sure. Well, well, I will ask you guys this. This isn't a topic. This isn't a question, you know, on our list here, but it is pertaining to the topic. If I know we said we would like three pointers, but let's just say he's shooting most of these jumpers in rhythm off the dribble when he's like going in motion. He's not standing still. So let's just say he does this where he's taking two mid rangers in the paint or right near the foul line per game. What does that do for his game and Sixers moving forward? Does it do anything, or does it do a little something, or does it do a lot? Yeah, you're uh, Chris. You can go first, and Uriah, you can chime in because I know this is a topic dear to your heart. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, pro- I mean, I'll defer to Uriah happily. Like, I, I, I don't think it would do much if it's just like mid-range, short-range jumpers. I, I don't think that really changes the defense's approach, especially if he's not making them at an insanely high rate. Like, if he's burying seventy percent of them or something wild, then sure. But I don't think him pulling up from the free throw line really spaces the floor all that much. So uh, until he's, like, hitting corner threes on a regular basis, I think we're still going to run into a lot of the same problems. Yeah, I, I would agree. Logistically, it does not spread the floor. It just gives him the opportunity to be more diverse with what he gets to show offensively. But I do know that it'll be less, I don't know, hook shots that clank off the backboard, like at the end of the I think it was the New Orleans game or the game before that, but it's just a more, I think it's a higher percentage shot than when he's jumping away from the basket and just flicking the ball up. When he pulls up, he has his elbow tucked. He has his legs underneath him. He's squared to the rim. So I would trust that shot more than those hook shots where he just throws it up there. And I like, I mean, obviously the sample size is extremely small, but like, I don't think Ben's a worse shooter than someone like Giannis. Like, it normally looks pretty okay when he does shoot it. Chris, you nailed it. The, his shot form is not that bad. It, it's better than Giannis. And that's what makes it so frustrating. And I keep pounding the drums because it, his shot form is not that bad. I mean, his free throw shot, that's a different story. But when he's in rhythm, like Lucas was talking about, off the dribble, it looks pretty decent. It's better than Giannis. Yeah, so this and that's a mental thing there because when you when you're setting up, this is me talking basketball back when I was in high school because I had the same problem in high school. If I'm setting, if I'm in set for a shot, like if I'm waiting on a 
baseline or something and I get a jump shot, I, I would miss it. But if I'm dribbling to the middle of the, you know, near the key or, you know, at the free throw line dribble pull up, that's a much more natural rhythm. And you're not thinking about your shooting motion. You're thinking about getting to your spot and the shooting motion comes naturally. So that's an all mental thing. And that's why I think he shoots better, especially when it comes to his three pointers, because he's made two three pointers off the dribble. And, uh, you know, he's missed a lot more when he's set. So I think it's it's a uh, he's not thinking about his mechanics when you're dribble. He's shooting off the dribble versus when you're setting up, especially for a player that we know for a fact. Let's be real. He has he has a mental block with his jump shot and shooting off the dribble might be better for him to get more confidence versus in that regard, because it seems like he has a much natural, more flow to his shot versus, you know, regular, you know, spot up jump shot. Yeah, we'll have to see. But again, odds are we're probably not going to see him take a jumper for a while. <laughs> probably not. Right, so let's go ahead and move on, though. Yeah, we're going to talk about Joel now and his current standing in the MVP race. Um, NBA.com releases their, I think, weekly MVP ladder and their April 9th edition. Hadden beat at number three behind Jokic, who's currently number one, and Damian Lillard, who's currently number two. Um, Lucas, do you think he can catch Jokic? And if so, what kind of performances does he have to put up between now and the end of the season to get there? Well, he's going to have to average over 30 points the rest of the way if it happens. But let's, I'm hearing mostly most um, NBA, and you know, it's the reporters that are the ones that vote, the media members. And um, most of them seem to have Giannis, I mean, Jokic locked in place. Though, though I am starting to hear some rumbles being like, I don't care how much time Joel's missed. This is a weird season. He's the MVP. Um, it's a hard it's a hard sell because right now I believe what Joel's played like 32, 33 games this season. And Jokic has played all the games for the Nuggets. So it's a hard sell there. And but I mean, I don't think it's possible. But if Joel's going to do it, it's going to have to be like. 35 he's gonna have to average like 35 and 14 the rest of the way and i as great as he's been i think that knee's still bothering him a little bit and he's gonna have the occasional off night like we saw against the pelicans too so it's it's gonna i don't think it's gonna i i don't think it's gonna be possible just because the time missed and the fact that jokic is having let's let's be real he's having the best one of the best statistical uh uh, seasons for a center in a very long time and I mean either way it looks like a center is going to win it because I don't think I don't think the media loves Damien enough because he's in Portland and that's not fair to him but I mean now with the addition of Aaron Gordon the Nuggets are probably going to be a top four team in the West and that's going to pretty much seal it for for Jokic in my opinion. I think that Embiid nothing's out of the question I think it's going to be more difficult for Embiid because Jokic's team, Denver is really starting to get their act together and they're starting to really compete for that top spot. And with LeBron out, AD out, I, there's no reason why Denver can't try and get that top spot. And that'll just show more value in terms of what he adds to that team. And adding Aaron Gordon just boosts his opportunity to increase his stats in terms of assists. So I think it's going to be tough. I wouldn't put money down on it. I hope Embiid wins MVP, but I just think Jokic, he's played all the games, like you said. It's going to be really tough for him to 
to to catch him. I think Jokic is having an outstanding season. I think an injury would have to occur for on Jokic and possibly Damian for Joel to retake it because um, and him averaging over thirty points a game in the Sixers. Re- it takes so much. Like Chris was, uh, you know, sorry, I'll scratch that Chris part because we he hasn't talked yet. <laughs> but you know, it takes so much narrative, and right now the narrative is on Jokic's favor right now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, unless Joel can pull off something spectacular, which I'm not putting out of the realm, but I think the injury, I think that injury is still kind of lingering a little bit. And uh, just the fact that Jokic outside of defense is, is is having one of the best offensive seasons that we've seen from a center since probably like Will Chamberlain or Kareem or uh, Hakeem, you know, it's, it's special. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say I would agree statistically and B would have to average over 30 points from here out. Only saving grace could be his defensive impact. If Embiid, let's say he averages two and a half blocks a game and maybe another steal per game, which I doubt he can do that, maybe he can make a, a claim toward getting MVP just because he's he adds so much on both sides of the ball where Jokic does not impact the game defensively as much as Embiid. But I, I think it's in the bag for Jokic. If I, if he stays healthy, it's it's his for sure. So I I don't think Embiid's out of it entirely. I think you know the MVP award is so often based on narrative, and I think there's a pretty strong narrative case for Embiid that could be made. You know, if the Sixers go on a, a have a good stretch here, if they surge late in the season, they're able to take and hold that number one spot away from Brooklyn. Embiid puts up numbers that are comparable to what he was doing before the All-Star break, then sure, I think there's a, a, a world in which the voters, you know, give him credit and, and vote him in over Jokic. I don't think Jokic is particularly beloved by the NBA media at large, plays in a much smaller market in Denver, which is just going to naturally work against him. But, you know, that said, Jokic is probably the MVP. And I think he has a pretty clear edge over Lillard, who is not my number two by I don't know if Lillard's in my top five, frankly. That that's a different conversation. I mean, it's either Joel or Harden. I think. You know, I know Harden's going to miss time now, which will maybe dent his case. But it, it's been a, a Jokic, Harden, and Bead thing for me pretty much the whole way through. I think Giannis is in there too. I put those four guys over Damian pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Now Lillard might be five or six right there with like Luca and Steph and such, but. Yeah, I, th- I think Jokic has a pretty clear edge. It's going to be hard for Joel. I think it was pretty close before the injury. I think Jokic is really the one guy who was having a comparable season. Harden had a f- couple weeks in Houston where he was kind of sandbagging it, and that probably hurt his case. So I, I think it's always been a Jokic and Bede race. It'll probably end up like that. And I- I'm not a big like games played guy. I thought Embiid should have won Rookie of the Year over Brogdon, for example, but. I, I think that be something be, again. Yeah. That that could legitimately be a, a gripe for him again, based off of games played. Isn't that crazy? I, I could, but I think Jokic's case is much stronger than Brogdon's was. Like I, that, Jokic fair, might be. Yeah. Like I have to whisper because people get mad at me. Like Jokic might be the better player. Denver's a comparably talented team, so I I, I really I think it's probably Jokic's award to lose at this point. 
Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I would say he's the better player, but, I, you know, I, I will say that it's a very close race for the two of them. They're, they're going to be connected to each other as long as they're both in their primes. Um, but let's go ahead and shift gears now. We're going to talk about recent roster updates. And, Chris, as I predicted, Ignas Brzezakis, uh, you know what, I'm not even going to try anymore. He's gone. He got waived on Thursday, and then Saturday, this team signed Anthony Tolliver to a 10-day contract. Tolliver has played for, I believe, 13 teams now, and now his 13th season or 12 teams in his 13th season. Doesn't It's a lot of different teams. He's had a lot of different stops. He's 35 years old. He's a stretch for Chris. What do you think about this deal? Yeah, I think it's fine. I, he's a veteran who can shoot the ball. He plays a position of need somewhat given that Mike Scott is still getting minutes. So it's fine. It's not something that's super exciting. I don't know if you'll even unseat Mike Scott in the rotation. Doc Rivers certainly didn't seem committed to giving Tolliver minutes or anything. So we'll see what happens. Frankly, I'd rather Isaiah Joe play over either him or Scott. If we're really going to talk about rotation changes that need to be made, but he, he can shoot the basketball. He, he's not really a stretch five. I know people have been wanting a stretch five or a small ball five. That's not really where Tolliver's going to exceed, at least not defensively. Maybe you can sort of make it work next to, like, Ben Tobias. But he's a veteran who can shoot. There's really not much more to that. He'll probably be at the tail end of that rotation or riding the bench. And, and you know, that's fine. There's not much on the free agent market right now. Philly isn't really in line for, for any big potential buyouts, if there are any. So uh, I have no complaints. I mean, you could do a lot worse than Anthony Tolliver. Uh, he, like you said, he's a solid veteran that can shoot. He played well for Memphis at the end of last year, was part of their push for the playoffs. He can stretch the floor, not really a rebounder, not really a defender. He, he, his loans, he was, what was he drafted in, like 2008, I want to say? 2008 2007 he's been around for a long time you know he's been able to stick in the league he was one of the he's he probably was the uh prototypical stretch four before it became popular to be honest um one of the early ones anyway i would also say i don't want to see him as small ball five it's it would be the mike scott situation all over again undersized at six foot eight now, and, you know, this could all be for nothing. They might just use the 10-day contract and be like, okay, well, bye-bye. Um, there are still some options out there. you got a guy like Gary Clark who, who can guard any, you know, he's small at 6'6", but he can guard any front court position, you know, three through five. A very versatile defender, not great offensively, but honestly, I think you need more defense per, uh, per, you know defense at this point than offense coming off the bench uh in terms of you know tail end you know spot starter you know what of mine gary clark maybe somebody like give justin Patton another whirlwind he actually didn't look terrible in houston you know guys like those uh i would say mufondo kevin gelly but i think he just signed with a team recently so i don't think he's available anymore but you know, there are young guys, younger players that, you know, might be able to fill that void a little bit more. But Anthony Tolliver certainly is not the worst choice. But let, talking about veterans, we got to talk about George Hill, the guy the Sixers traded, my favorite Tony Bradley center for, you know. And 
he hasn't played a game yet, Chris. It doesn't sound like they're going to play him anytime soon, but he says he will be back for the season. Chris, is this concerning to you? Not really, but just a quick aside. The Sixers could have solved all their stretch big problems by trading up for Poku. Oh, my gosh. opportunity, but... But if they traded up for Poku, they couldn't get Paul Reed. No. Ah, That's not true. Good comeback, Lucas. Why? Why? Yeah, they couldn't get Paul Reed. Would you rather have Poku or Paul Reed, Chris? That's not true. Yeah, you have to choose. You have to choose. You got to choose, Chris. You don't have have to choose. You can. They totally could have. Paul Reed went in the 50s. Just trade a future second. You totally could. Anyways, (laughs) you could have had both. But whatever. Mm point being george hill i'm I'm not worried about it it sounds like he's going to be back before the playoffs if this thing lingers and there's a point where it's no longer clear that he's coming back before the playoffs then i i I might get worried but he's pretty easily the best player in the second unit as is i don't think it'll get take too long for him to get acclimated he's a pretty smart all-around player pretty unselfish player shoots the ball well, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I, I think he'll get acclimated pretty quickly. He's a veteran, has a lot of experience on winning teams. He's played with LeBron in Cleveland, Giannis in Milwaukee just recently. So I, I think he'll be fine. I, I think it'll be a pretty quick learning curve for him. And, I mean, frankly, his health, even at this age, is I'd say take a cautious approach. There's a pretty good chance he'll be with the team next season. So... There's no need to really rush him back. I don't think he's going to swing the first-round series. You know, I I think the Sixers have that one in the bag, knock on wood. If they lose in the first round, then I don't think, you know, there was really never much to talk about. But as long as he's back and has a few games, you know, under his belt in the regular season, maybe gets to work himself up to speed in the first round, I think it'll be fine. I think the second round is really where Philly has the potential to run into problems, especially if they have to play Milwaukee. So he's, he's still got plenty of time to get back and get into action. So I'm not worried about it. So I'm not worried about him because he's a professional. He'll be fine. He'll be able to get into the system pretty quick. What I am worried about is how he's going to fit along with the likes of Shake Milton and how Shake Milton's going to adjust. Because let's be clear, up to this point in his career, Shake Milton has been primarily a ball handler, for better or for worse. And now there, he, the ball is going to be out of his hands a lot more than what he's used to with, you know, playing either next to George Hill and or Ben Simmons at any point. He's going to be the second or even third ball handling option where in some for most cases this year, he was the primary ball handler in the second unit. So I think that's going to take some time for him to adjust and be able to learn how to play off ball. And I think that's going to be why I would prefer him to be back, you know, at least 10 to five games before the end of the regular season, which I think he probably will. But, you know, obviously this is concerning, but in the long run, as long as he's healthy for the playoffs, that's, that's the ideal situation. But I I would like for him and Jake Milton to learn how to play off each other before we get into a playoff series. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously the ideal, you know, the sooner, the better. It would be great for him to have 15, 20 games to just get into get up to speed if he could come back tomorrow but I, I mean I don't think Shake is frankly the that important to this team like I think he'll be fine you know he needs to shoot more threes in general and shoot them better than he has this season even like without a role change I think that would be true he just hasn't shot as frequently and as with as much success as he's needed to this year I think playing off ball will help Shake in a lot of ways it'll 
take responsibilities off his shoulder is that he's not necessarily ready to, to carry right now. So, and, and I mean, I think Hill's just generally speaking a pretty solid mentor for, for Shake. They're both pretty long guards. Hill can help them out on the defensive end. So I'm, I'm not worried about Shake, and I'm really not worried about Hill. Wait, so. Lucas, um, hold on. Chris, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, clarify this. Did you say that Shake is not that important to the team? Did well, I hear that correctly? Not in the Did sense that, that, not in the sense that a, a role change is gonna like completely derail the offense. You know, he's gonna play okay twenty twenty five minutes a night, maybe in the playoffs. And so, I, all right. So I'm here to keep you guys honest. I think I know what you're saying, Chris. I think well, Shake is the, I'll, he's he's Shake is the most important bench player. And Lucas, I've been saving Not this for you. Not once George Hill gets back is what I'm saying. Like Hill's gonna yeah, that's what he's saying. pretty firmly. As the oh, okay, important all right. So okay, so you clarified that. Now I'm coming for you, Lucas. In that yeah, I think it was like last it. week, in the week before, you were saying that Shake is gonna benefit playing off the ball because he's not yes. a pure point guard. So is exactly. so? Are you clear with what you're? Yeah, so what, about what I'm saying there is that, yes, I think he will benefit in the long term from playing off the ball, but learning how to play off the ball and still being aggressive has always been a problem of Shakes, and it's going to be a problem when Hill first comes in, and that's why I would like some time for them to learn how to play with each other. I think it will wow. help. This will help. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, Sh- yeah. Shake has still spent plenty of time next to Ben. It's not like he's never played off the ball before. Yeah. But playing in off college the, too, always playing, but, but but always playing off the ball now is going to be a thing for him with both Hill and Ben. He's pro- he's going to always be the secondary ball handler, whereas you know half the time he's the secondary, half the time he's the primary this season. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean it'll like the all bench groups that Dog likes to use, like the chemistry will change a bit. He'll have to play off of Hill more. Hill will be able to play off of him too, like. George can play yeah, off the ball as well, so there there'll be a balance there. But generally speaking, I'm I'm not really worried about it either way. I, I think it will both be fine. Does that clarify things for you, Uriah? Not one bit, but it's okay. Well, no, no, no. What's, what's the confusion on? Let, let no, me I'm try just, see if I can. I'm just, I'm just pulling you like you guys. You, okay. you guys know more basketball than me right now, man. You guys are the analytics. I'm just a fan over here listening. All right. Well, let's, uh, speaking of you, Mr. Fan, it is your turn to talk about our social media question of the week. Absolutely. So we, we posted it today, and the question was very simple. It was, which upcoming nationally televised game are you looking forward to the most? And I don't know if you know this, guys, but we have our next, I think, eight games are going to be either on ESPN or TNT. That's a pretty big deal, especially for Sixers fans. So the options were the Phoenix Suns, the Clippers game, um, Brooklyn Nets game. I'm going to be there Wednesday, by the way. And then the Dallas game. I think I know who Chris wants to see the most, but we'll wait for him. So Lucas. um, Oh, wait, wait. No, I got to go to the fans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So let's go to Facebook and I'll just read some of the responses from some of our followers on Facebook. Mike Ikes said, definitely Brooklyn. Ty Harris is looking forward to the Clippers. He said, we owe them big time. Tony Montana said, the Nets. And then Mike Davis said, Dallas. So, Lucas, who are you looking forward to the most? Of course, I'm looking forward to the Tobias Harris-Boban uh, youth reunion. Who wouldn't be? 
Uh, joking aside, though, of course, because we saw them recently on a Goldfish commercial. I love that commercial. That's the best. They got it's a couple commercials. There, there's, yeah, it's there's a couple. More than one. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. So that's, yeah, it's awesome. But in all seriousness, I, I wanted to say Brooklyn at first, but then I realized Kyrie's away for personal. Harden's going to be missing the game. So it wouldn't be what we're hoping for in terms of a preview of what's going to come in the playoffs because it's just going to be a, you know, freshly healthy KD. Maybe Kyrie, but probably not. Um, Harden's most likely going to be out, so I'm not going to say that. I'm actually going to say the Clippers, and this is why. Because I don't think the Suns are going to make the NBA Finals. I think the Clippers do have a better, much better shot than the Suns or the, the, or the Mavs. So, I would, and I, so I, in that regard, I would like to see that matchup because they are healthy outside of... Uh, Patrick Beverly, who would not make a difference in this series, in my opinion. So that's the matchup I want to see, because that's a potential NBA Finals matchup. Probably not a likely one, but potential one for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm pretty excited about all these games, generally speaking. Um, just to go back to Embiid's MVP candidacy real quick, like an eight-game stretch of dominance on national TV, if he like goes on a tier of these eight games, that really help him narratively because those are the games that the most people watch. So mm-hmm. yeah. if he can if he can put together a really nice stretch here, then maybe we hear more about him supplanting Jokic. But mm-hmm. as far as the games that you mentioned, Uriah, Brooklyn will be down the best player. Dallas isn't much of a contender yet. The Clippers, I I don't know for whatever reason, I can't really make myself interested in the Clippers. Like they're they're a good team. Kawhi's great, obviously. Paul George is great. They have a real chance at the finals. All that jazz. They're just kind of boring to me. I love this Phoenix team. I agree, Lucas. They're probably not going to make it to the finals. But I would really love it if they did. Like, if all my hopes and dreams came true, we'd get six or sons in the finals. I, I would love CP3 to get that far. Um, they're just a super fun team to watch. Uh, Dario. I love watching Dario play, so... I mean, I think it's the Suns for me. I just enjoy that team a lot. I think they're a pretty interesting matchup for Philadelphia. That, that's just more of like a personal preference thing, though. I think all three games are going to be pretty interesting. It'll be Embiid's first time hypothetically going against the Marcus Aldridge or whatever this new Brooklyn frontcourt is going to look like. We'll see if that makes any difference. It probably won't from Brooklyn's perspective. I don't think Embiid will have much problem at all going against Aldridge. But the Nets are, have been pretty consistently good, even without one or two of their stars all season. Harden's different. I think Harden's, again, like he's their best player pretty clearly, I think. And if not their best, their most important player. So I, I, I do think he leaves a, a different hole than, than Kyrie or KD. But the Nets won't be at full strength. There's a decent chance we see Sixers-Nets in the playoffs. Hope, hope we do. Um, so I, I think the Suns are my pick. I was going to say the Clippers game simply because I hate Kawhi Leonard. I hate his cornrows. <laughs> someone should someone should tell him someone should tell him it's not 2001, it's 2021. No one wears cornrows these wow. days. I, I I hate his, I hate his New Balance sneakers. I I can't stand them. So I, I was looking forward to that, but I'm actually going to go and say I'm looking forward to the Brooklyn game. For those listening and for you, Lucas and Chris, look for me on TV because I will be at the game. And I look forward to heckling Durant. Uh, I think it was three or f- I think it was three years ago. I went to the 
Golden State game. I think it was his last year with Golden State. And it was the game where the Sixers scored 50 points, I think, in the first quarter or the first – yeah, I think it was first quarter. They scored almost 50 points. And at halftime, we had a t- over a 20-point lead. And I had really great seats for my birthday. I was, like, right at center court. Really great seats. And then Golden State took over, and they ended up winning. But in the fourth quarter, when Durant was at the foul line, you could hear a pin drop. It was silent. They were up by, like, 15. And I just stood up, and I yelled at the top of my lungs. I said, if you can't beat them, join them. And, of course, Durant missed the foul shot, so I'll take credit for that. Uh, But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Brooklyn game. I can't wait to be in the house. It's my first game since uh, since the Clippers game when uh, uh, the Sixers beat the Clippers at home last year. So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Brooklyn game. Yeah, I think all fair choices for sure, guys. But I think it's time for Chris to play us out. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Alexei Pokashevsky podcast. Um, we will be back in <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> with some more great Sixers content. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Omni, the website, wherever, leave a comment. Give us a five-star rating if you think that we're worth it. We hope you do. It would really help us out. Let us know your thoughts, recommendations, questions, what have you. Just, just let us know. We will, we will listen for sure. And just stay tuned. We have some more exciting guests coming up in the near future. And the Sixers are well on their way to what could be a very exciting playoff run. So there's going to be plenty to talk about, and we'll, we'll see y'all then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.